You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're beginning Easter week, which includes Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. With this week's message, here's Pastor to Middle Adults, Joe Cook. About 40 years ago, I had an interesting experience, and I still remember it clearly today. I was in junior high, and I had left class, and I was going to the restroom, and I walked down the hallway, and when I walked into the restroom, I, I, something caught my eye. the corner of my eye, there was something brightly colored, and I looked, and there was a bird in the bathroom, and it was, it was green, and it was really, really small, and so I went over, and I looked, and it was still alive. It was a hummingbird, and I'd never seen a hummingbird up close like that. This wild little thing had made its way into the restroom and couldn't get out, and I was able to reach down and pick up and hold that hummingbird in my hand. And I'll never forget thinking about how small the beak was and how tiny the little talons were and how iridescent the feathers were, and I would just sit there, I'd just I just stood at it. it. It weighed almost nothing. Some hummingbirds weigh less than a coin that's in your, your pocket. And I could feel the heart beating. It, it was mesmerized. I've never forgotten that experience. I walked outside, and I, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. <laughs> I walked outside, and once I got it into the sunshine, the bird was able to fly away. It was a great experience. I really saw something there. I've never forgotten it. And I learned a lot by looking at the hummingbird. But you know what? There's more to a hummingbird than meets the eye. Would you like to hear a few of them? A hummingbird's heart beats at 1,260 beats per minute. That's 12 times what a human being does. It can fly 25 to 30 miles an hour. In a dive, it can go 50 miles an hour. Hummingbirds can't see, I mean, uh, hummingbirds can't smell. And they make their living, as it were, from eating the, the nectar from flowers. Now, in the first service, I said pollen, and a very sweet, beautiful 11-year-old girl pulled me aside and said, no, it's nectar. <laughs> I'm like, I will correct that in the next service. So apparently, I don't know as much about hummingbirds as I thought I did. They are, they're amazing, amazing creatures. They're the only bird that can fly like a helicopter, up, down, side to side. The only bird that can fly backwards. And my favorite detail about them is that their wings beat up to 80 times, get this, per second. They're amazing. There is a lot more to a hummingbird than meets the eye. And once you start digging into it, it's amazing. You know, there's a lot of things in life that when you see them at first, you think maybe you have a good grasp of what they are and all there is to know about them, but then you find out there's more to that thing that you look at than meets the eye. And that's going to be true with people sometimes too. And 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, incarnated in the flesh in the person of Jesus, walked on the earth and people touched Him, people heard Him, people saw Him. And they oftentimes thought they understood him. But what we're going to find out today is there's a whole lot more to Jesus than meets the eye. We're going to zoom in on one specific day. This day, Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, as Jesus was moving towards the crucifixion, he knew, he had been telling his disciples over and over again what was coming. 
He knew what he was facing. But on this day, he does something rather odd. And a large group of people gather. And what we're going to do today is we're going to zoom in and see what some of those people were seeing and understand it. I would invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. The account of what we refer to as the triumphal entry is in all four of the Gospels. People were moving towards Jerusalem for one of the three pilgrimage feasts. There are three times a year that every able-bodied male was supposed to come to Jerusalem, and they were coming for Passover. So Jesus and his disciples are making that trip, and in Matthew 21, we read how Jesus makes his entrance. So we're going to read 11 verses together in Matthew, and then we're going to go to another gospel, and we're going to look at some of the others. But remember what I said, it's in all four gospels. Maybe this week, something you could do to help your mind get ready for Passion Week as we look at the crucifixion of Christ is go and read the different accounts. Each one brings something, some little new nuance to it that makes that week a little bit more real. So look at verse 1 of chapter 21 with me, and let's read. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, Disciples went, and they did as Jesus directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road also. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, and they were saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Big crowd, almost like a parade. And this large group of people, they take off their coats and they lay them on the road for a donkey to walk over. And some other people probably walked over them too. What made people do something so strange? What we're going to do this morning is we're going to break this up into three categories, three demographics. If you have an outline in your bulletin or it's on the Church Center app, we're going to see three Roman numerals, and this is how we're going to break down the crowd. This is how we're going to zoom in and examine who was there that day. First of all, we're going to see some people who saw hope, and we're going to talk about what they saw when they saw, how did they see hope in this person named Jesus? The second thing we're going to look at is we're going to see that some saw a deliverer. What did that mean? Why did they see a deliverer when they looked at this one named Jesus of Nazareth? And then lastly, we're going to see that some saw controversy. There were some people that didn't necessarily like or understand what Jesus had to say. So with that in our mind, this overview, let's move into our first group. Let's look at people who saw hope, and let's ask the question, why did they see hope? Matthew helps us. You've got your Bibles open to Matthew. 
back up to right before where we started this morning in verse 1. Look at chapter 11, verse 30. As Jesus and His disciples are making their way up, verse 30, we read this, And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight. And notice, they followed him. Jesus did a lot of healing in his ministry. Oftentimes, the healing of the blind is highlighted. And let's think about it. If you knew someone who was blind their whole life, or if you had been blind, and suddenly you could see this person that, that did that is going to be a person of interest, isn't he? Can you imagine growing up in a town where there was a guy who's been blind his whole life? That takes place in John. In John chapter, uh, it's in John chapter 9, there's this remarkable story about a man born blind. Jesus heals him, and there's nothing wrong with healing someone, but Jesus did it on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, were upset with him. They had an actual court case where they examined this man's parents and they examined him. And he says, he finally, he, he's had enough. And he testifies. And what we're going to see in his testifying is that he was starting to see a whole lot more than just seeing physically. That man who had been born blind and was healed said this, Never since the world began... Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? And notice, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He was starting to see. He was starting to look a little bit closer. When he looked at Jesus, he saw hope. And let's face it, if you had lived in one of these towns and you heard this, and you knew the name of Jesus was connected with it, you would be interested in that. One of the things that some of the pastors told me that made the trip to Israel recently is that they were amazed at how small Israel is. If you took all of the square, uh, all the square miles in Israel and you came over to Texas, Israel would fit inside of Texas 31 times. It's not a very big nation. And one of the things they said were these little communities, were the little towns, the villages were very small. And they were very close to one another. It was a network of tiny little villages all connected. And as some of you know, I'm from a small town. And if there's one thing I know, news travels fast in a small town. I don't know how it can happen as quickly as it can when there's no phones and no, no internet and no social media. But when I grew up, if you had someone that was sick, everybody knew it. Everybody knew everybody's business. And if you had someone in your family pass away, it wouldn't be an hour later you would hear, and you would open the door, and there would be the angel of diabetes. I mean, the angel of mercy with cakes and pies and fried chicken and, and all sorts of things. It was wonderful. People just showed up. In a small town, when something good happens or when something bad happens, people know about it. And as they're moving towards Jerusalem, if you didn't know someone that had been healed, you knew somebody who knew someone who had been healed. The name of Jesus at this point in his ministry was very well known. 
people were drawn to him. When they heard the name Jesus, they heard hope. But that was small beans compared to what he's going to do next. I want you to make your way over to the Gospel of John. We're still in Roman numeral one. We're still looking at this idea of him bringing hope. In John's Gospel in chapter 12, we're going to see the aftermath of one of the greatest miracles that he did. And it happened right before, it happened right before the triumphal entry event. When you get over there to chapter 12, I want you to make your way, I want you to make your way to verse 9. I need to give you a little bit of the backstory. In the previous chapter, Jesus had a friend whose name was Lazarus. Lazarus died. He got sick and then he died. And his sister sent word to Jesus. Jesus delayed coming to help Lazarus. And he was put in the tomb and he was there four days. And then he was resurrected to life. And there was a whole crowd of people that saw a dead man walking out of this tomb. And remember, it's a small town. These are small towns in this area. People knew each other. I've been to a lot of funerals in my hometown. I never went to lunch the next week with the person who we buried. This kind of news got around. And look at verse 9 of chapter 12, what we read. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. Yeah, I would imagine so. Whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. On that day that we're zooming in on, the Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, that large crowd that had gathered, part of the reason they were there is Jesus was changing things. When he came to town, things that you used to think were so certain start to change. Have you heard the phrase, there's nothing certain but death and taxes? I bet you have, but when Jesus comes to town, suddenly that's not so certain. What a sad idiom that is even to think about, to live your life and have this idea that the only thing that's certain is that I will have to pay taxes and that I will die. When Jesus came to town and he started doing these things, people started thinking, hmm, maybe there are other things that are more certain than death and taxes. People started to see hope. A few months ago, I quoted Fyodor Dostoevsky, and I learned this quote, and it stuck with me. It says, to live without hope is to cease to live. If you were sick or you knew someone was sick and you heard Jesus was nearby, you wanted to be in that crowd. So one of the key demographics that we were talking about are the people who saw hope. They saw hope for a better life. But remember, do you remember the statement? There's more to Jesus than meets the eye. Let's move now to our second idea. Let's talk about how they saw a deliverer. When people were hearing about Jesus and seeing Jesus, there was something, there were things that he did that made them think, he's a deliverer, he's a change maker, he's a second chance giver. In the Gospel of Luke, we're not going to turn there. I'm going to put one of the verses up in just a minute. But in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 19, there's this great story. And if you've been raised in church, you're familiar with the story. If you're not, let that be one of the stories that you go to read this week. It's a story about Zacchaeus. Maybe you even remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Do you remember that? Some of you nodding heads. Some of you are like, just don't sing anymore. 
I get it. It's twice now I've sung. It'll probably be it. It's the story of Zacchaeus. He was a man of high status. He was a chief tax collector, but he was a man of low stature. He wasn't very tall. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. And he heard that Jesus was coming through his town. And so in that story, what you're going to read, this would be a good one to read with your children. Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree. And when Jesus walks by, he looks, that, he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come to your house tonight. Huh? You're going to come to my house? You're going to come and eat dinner at my house? I'm a chief tax collector. People hated tax collectors. They really hated him because he's the chief tax collector. And Jesus went into his house, and he began to share his message with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was transformed. Zacchaeus was changed. He stood up and he said, Lord, I will give half of everything I have to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times. Now that's news that would get around a small town. Can you imagine the next day? Mr. Mendelbaum, I'm your tax collector. I've cheated you over the last few years. Here's four times back what I owe you. Mr. Mendelbaum falls down. He passes out. When he comes to, guess what he's going to be doing when he goes to the marketplace? You're not going to believe this. The tax collector showed up and gave me back money. He gave me money. There were no rebates in that day. Okay? This was news that got around. Jesus was a second chance giver. He was a change maker. Zacchaeus saw a man, a rabbi, who he could approach, a rabbi who would talk to him. And if you were a weary, bedraggled sinner in that world, this was a rabbi that you could come to and you could find a second chance. When Zacchaeus made his speech, this is what Jesus said to him. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Remember the weary, tired sinner who's been on the outskirts of the community, on the outskirts of the culture. He's been hated. He's been spit at. He's been rejected. The only thing, the only company he has are the other tax collectors and the other people who have bad reputations. All he has to comfort him is his money. He's weary of it. Here's a second chance giver. And Jesus says that he came to seek and save what is the lost. We were all in that category of lost at one point in our life. You may be there now. Humanity needs a shepherd. And Jesus says, I've come to seek those who are lost. It's one of the wonderful things about God's Word. From the beginning to the end, what we see is God's pursuing His people. Every prodigal that heard that story, every wayward, weary sinner who heard about Zacchaeus would think, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus would do that for me. And so in that crowd that day, if you heard the name Jesus and you were in that category, this is somebody that you would want to see closer. So they moved in. But there were other people who saw even greater ideas of deliverance. Do you remember they're conquered by Rome? They've been oppressed by Rome. And Rome is unpredictable and cruel. And they're longing for their Savior. And some people in the crowds were starting to connect some prophetic dots. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. 
We've heard he walked on water. We've heard all of these stories about it. We've seen him do some of these things. Could this be, could this be the Messiah? Were there some people in that crowd that day who thought he was? In Mark's gospel, in his account of the triumphal entry, we read the people were saying this, blessed is the coming kingdom. Coming kingdom? Oh. Of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. We're going to talk about that word in just a second. The people saw a coming kingdom, a deliverer from Rome. Uh, You should still be in the Gospel of John, and if you are, I want to ask you to look at verse 13 of chapter 12, right where I took you. This is in John's account of the triumphal entry. In verse 13, we read this. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even, and notice these words, the king of Israel. King. That's a big word for people who are oppressed by a foreign power. There were people in that crowd that day that looked at Jesus and they said, there's a deliverer. And you know what? They were right. They were seeing correctly, but they weren't seeing completely. There's more to Jesus than meets the eye. Warren Wiersbe makes this comment about the triumphal entry. He says, when welcoming a king, it was customary for people to lay their outer garments on the road and then add festal branches The shout, Hosanna, means save now. And it comes from Psalm 118. And of course, Jesus knew that the people were quoting a messianic psalm, but he allowed them to go ahead and shout. Now, we're going to talk in just a second about Jesus' acceptance of that praise. But this idea of the Hosannas, everybody who heard that said, and he was, there's the part (laughs) I left off, he was openly affirming his kingship as the son of David. Everyone who heard the shout of Hosanna, they knew that somebody was saying, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the deliverer that you've been waiting for. They're going to rush in and see that. And that word Hosanna was very familiar to all of them. It may sound strange to you. We learned on at the Seder dinner Friday night, Ron Allen taught us that in the liturgy for the Passover, multiple centuries prior to Jesus walking on the earth, Psalm 118 was in there. They all knew those words. And they knew what was being claimed. And they were right. But there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. So now let's move into our last category, our last demographic. This would be Roman numeral number three. They saw controversy. They saw controversy. You know, when you think about Jesus, one of the things you probably should recognize is that sometimes he says difficult things. And sometimes he does things that aren't easy to get your head around. And one of the things that he did, though, that shouldn't have been controversial was the raising of Lazarus. Remember that happened? We talked about it in John's Gospel. Look back at John with me. Look at chapter 11, verse 45. They're really angry about this. They're really upset. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and they told what Jesus had done. Some people just saw a man raised from the dead come out and then they went and tattletailed on him. Do you see that? Isn't that amazing? So that these chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? 
For this man performs many signs. If we go on, let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. If it wasn't so evil, it would be ridiculous. It would be humorous. They're acting like children. Here's a man who just gave life back to someone. When everybody else is seeing hope, when everybody else is seeing a deliverer, they're seeing a man who's not playing by their rules. They're so focused on their religious ideas. They're so focused on their definition of the way God's Word is supposed to be understood that they can't see more clearly. But it's not just leaders that have a hard time understanding Jesus. As I mentioned, sometimes you and I have a hard time understanding him, don't we? He says some things that are a little confusing. He does things that are confusing. This whole thing that we've zoomed in on. He's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Of all the animals that you could choose to ride in on for a triumphal entry, why a donkey? Now, Matthew, when we were in his gospel, he explained it to us. John's gospel explains it to us. Look at John's gospel. Look at verse 16. John gives us an important bit of information. He tells us, right after he quotes Zechariah 9.9, which says this was meant to, this was always going to happen. God knew this before. But he tells us this, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done, had, had been done to him. When he was riding in on the donkey, you know what the disciples were doing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he's on a donkey. But other people, when they saw it coming, they're not understanding everything that they're seeing, but they want to see more. They want to see more. Jesus is not always easy to understand. Remember I mentioned that Jesus accepted the praise and the hosannas, and that upsets, that creates controversy that day. The Pharisees come up and they say this to him in Luke 19. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That's a little strange. Have you ever heard a stone make a sound? Have you ever talked to a rock and it talked back to you? That's kind of weird. Jesus says things that are hard to understand. He said things even more controversial in John 6. He gives them a metaphor, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. That's controversial. He said a camel can go through an eye of a needle easier than a rich man can enter the heavens, kingdom of heaven. That's controversial. You know, it seems at times that Jesus almost tries to be controversial. If you're paying attention to the narrative, that's an impact that you can take away. But remember, there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. So we've looked at three groups. We've looked at those who saw hope. We've looked at those who saw deliverer. And we've looked at those who saw controversy. Let's walk back through and see where maybe they were a little short-sighted. Let's walk back through and see where they were maybe missing a little bit. I held that hummingbird in my hand and I saw a lot, but I didn't see everything so let's go back and see what some of the things they missed. Let's talk about those who saw hope. If you were a sick person, if you were a person that was unwell, Jesus was someone that you would be excited about because he heals people. And that's very exciting. Everybody wants to be healed from, from a sickness. But Jesus came to do a whole lot more than heal people from physical sickness. 
Jesus came to hear people from, heal people from spiritual sickness, spiritual sin and death. You see, he came to do a whole lot more. In that episode in Mark 2 where they tear open a man's roof and they lower a paralytic down, Jesus, his first words to that man are not stand up and walk. His first words to him, your sins have been forgiven. That was the priority. The sickness of his heart was the priority to Jesus. What about this idea of him being a deliverer from oppression? God doesn't like oppression. He's against oppression. But Jesus came to do something more than free them from Rome. He had a bigger idea, a bigger plan. He came to bring them a kingdom of God. In a few chapters in John, you're going to read him, you're going to see him telling Pilate, these words. He's going to say, my kingdom is not of this world. They were expecting a kingdom. They were expecting a deliverer. And they saw him and they saw a deliverer and they were right. They saw correctly, but they didn't see completely. His idea, his kingdom was much bigger. His vision was much broader than theirs. And what about the ones that saw controversy? Did they see it clearly? Well, they looked at Jesus and they said, he, sees, he says strange things. He does, says hard things. He's controversial. You know, when a man says, whoever's not with me is against me, that's kind of like drawing a line in the sand. When a man says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's a big statement. When a man says this, whoever believes in me shall never die, if he's right, this is the most important man who's ever walked on the face of the earth. If Jesus was who he says he is, he's not a issue, he's the issue. He's not a controversy. He's the controversy. We need to make up our mind about who Jesus is. So what blinded them? Why was it so hard for them to see the complete picture? Why didn't they hear his words? Because he talked about these things pretty clearly, that he came to do more than to heal people. He came more to do more than just chase away the Romans. He had a bigger vision, and he was casting that vision on him. Why did they miss it? And the bigger question today as we near our end, why do we miss it? If we go back and we look at those people and we read and we look at ourselves, what we see is a lot of times we're so focused on the temporal things, aren't we? You know, when someone says, I want to save your soul, I want to give you a message, save your soul, that's great, but I need somebody to pay my bills. I need someone that can fix my back. I need someone that can take away my migraine. I need someone that can fix my lame foot. I can point to these things, pointing to my soul I don't know how to point to my soul. One teacher has said, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. That's helpful, but I still can't point to it. I feel the pain. I am so focused sometimes on my immediate circumstances. I sometimes miss Jesus. They saw correctly, but they failed to see completely. Why? Well, here's a statement. I'm going to put it up. And I'm going to leave it up through till the end of the message when I show you the last verse. I want you to let this sink in. If you've gone to sleep, if you've tuned me out, I'm going to ask you to tune me back in and let this sink in. We often want Jesus to transform our circumstances when he wants to transform us. Let's say it again. We often want Jesus to transform our circumstances when he wants to transform us. Jesus has a bigger vision for us. Jesus has something for us that we cannot, we can't even imagine. There was a man whose name was Paul. It used to be Saul. 
Saul was a persecutor of the church. You're probably familiar with him if you've been around the Bible. Saul was trying to destroy this new movement of Christianity. He was attacking them, and he was putting Christians in prison. And the Apostle Paul had an encounter with the living Christ, and he was changed, and his life got harder. People started throwing stones at him, literally. People whipped him. People chased him. People tried to put him in jail. He had some of the most difficult circumstances in life that you could imagine. If you were going to write a novel, you would not put all this stuff in there because most people wouldn't believe it. And yet the account of his life is the account of difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance. And yet the remarkable thing is this man, the Apostle Paul, he caught the vision. He caught the Jesus vision. He caught the idea that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. And I'm going to give you a verse. I don't have a slide for it, but you might want to write this reference down. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. And I'm going to invite you just to listen to these words. This is the man Paul. He's writing, and this is the evidence that he caught the bigger vision. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The things that are unseen are eternal. There's more to Jesus than meets the eye. And oftentimes we miss Jesus, even as followers of Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been walking with him for decades but you miss understanding him. You miss seeing him completely because you're blinded by your agenda for immediate relief in the circumstances that you're in. So what can we do to see Jesus more clearly? When I held that hummingbird in my hand and I was looking at it and thinking about how lightweight it was and all of the details, I learned a lot about it. But all of those other things that I told you, I had to go and read about them. I had to observe them a little bit more. I remember last summer I had a hummingbird. A friend let me use their cabin in New Mexico, and a hummingbird flew up, and it hovered right in front of me and just looked at me, deciding if I would taste good, I think. And it was beautiful. I'm enamored by them, but to understand them, I've got to think a little bit. I've got to dig in a little bit. To understand Jesus, you're going to have to think. To understand that he's more than sometimes it first meets the eye, it requires connecting some dots to catch that vision. Are you willing to yield your agenda to his agenda? Are you willing to say, Lord, even if you don't change my circumstances, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe today's the first day you've heard that the God of heaven came to earth as an incarnate man and he didn't just sit on his throne and wait for people to come up. He's actually pursuing people. Maybe he's pursuing you this morning. Maybe you felt a tug in your heart, the Holy Spirit drawing you. I would encourage you to hear these words of Jesus, familiar words, but yet some of the most profound from John three sixteen. Many of you know it by heart, but try to listen to it with fresh ears. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God wants for you.
If you're here today and you've never done that, I would invite you to place your faith in Christ, call out to Him right where you are in your heart, and ask Him to be your Savior. Tell Him that you would like to receive this gift of eternal life. If you do that, let me know or let one of the other pastors know, someone with a lanyard. We'd like to pray with you. We'd like to walk with you through that in this journey. This week that we move into, this holy week, we set our eyes on one of the most amazing, the most amazing event in the history of the universe. And there's sometimes you want to have this idea, there's more to it than meets the eye. Let's think about it. Let's plug in our minds and let's look closely and let's understand Jesus and recognize that he has something bigger for us maybe than we even want for ourselves. As we close, I'm going to close with some more words from the Apostle Paul. This is from Ephesians 3. And he says some things in there I want you to think about. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, the word think, at least in one translation, is imagine. I know a lot of times we sit around and we imagine what our lives could be like. But God's imagination is much bigger and His vision for you is much broader. Look at those words afresh. Now to Him, speaking of Jesus, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.